You're listening to the Small Cap Spotlight on PublicWire.com, your number one source for small cap market news. Now, here's your host, Dave Donlin. And hello and welcome once again. This is Dave Donlin, host of the Small Cap Spotlight podcast, heard exclusively on PublicWire.com, the number one source for small cap market news. Hope you're having a great day today. You know, every week, the Small Cap Spotlight podcast provides valuable insight into today's financial markets and a unique perspective by featuring company CEOs. We have another one coming up today. We also uh, interview authors, newsmakers, and many more. Today, our guest is Chief Executive Officer and President of Arch Therapeutics, Inc., Terrence W. Norkey, M.D., So we'll be talking with Terry in just a moment. But first, let us make sure that you know that publicwire.com contains stock alerts, ideas, and or featured stock reports and podcasts such as this one, which are not investment recommendations. Please do your own research before investing. Publicwire.com is not a registered broker, dealer, or financial advisor, nor do we hold ourselves out to be. All materials presented on website, email, or any other means of transmission are not to be regarded as investment advice and are only for informative purposes. Before making a purchase or sale of any securities featured on our website, or mentioned in our reports or podcasts, such as this one, we strongly encourage and recommend consultation with a registered securities representative. This is not to be construed as a solicitation or recommendation to buy or sell securities. Now on to our guests today, and the company we are talking about is Arch Therapeutics, Inc. Arch Therapeutics is a medical device company developing a novel approach to stop bleeding and control leaking during surgery and trauma care. Arch is developing products based on an innovative self-assembling peptide technology platform to make surgery and interventional care faster and safer for patients. Arch's flagship development stage product candidate known as the AC5 surgical hemostatic device is being designed to achieve hemostasis in minimally invasive and open surgical procedures. Sounds like Really interesting stuff. The corporate website for the company, you can take a look at archtherapeutics.com. So now we will go to our guest, CEO and president of Arch Therapeutics. It is Terry Norkey, and this is a recorded conversation that Terry and I had earlier. Terry, welcome to the program today. I guess uh, the great place to start here, good, good place as any, is tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and how did you start Arch Therapeutics? Sure, David. Thank you. Um, I went to medical school in Ohio, an institution called the Northeast Ohio Medical University. Afterwards, I did internal medicine residency at Tufts University School of Medicine at its Western campus, Bay State Medical Center, where I was also the chief medical resident. And after that, I went to MIT for an MBA with a focus on management and entrepreneurship. The next stop, uh, what seemed like a long path at the time, was then the world of healthcare investing with roles ranging from Wall Street sell-side analyst to portfolio manager, the lead portfolio manager of one of the world's largest healthcare mutual funds. What I noticed over that period of time was a lot of very exciting sources of innovation and opportunities for investing were prevalent, but it was clear that they were seemingly most exciting in the world of small companies with the breakthrough technology. In that time frame, a wonderful former professor of mine from MIT introduced me to a group called the Deshpande Center for Technological Innovation at MIT as well as to an academic who was receiving grant funding from that center. The academic who, interestingly, is the inventor of this technology is named Dr. Rutledge Ellis Benke. Rutledge is working with self-assembling peptides, and he invented the concept of using them to stop bleeding. 
Eventually, he and another colleague and I decided to start a company that became Arch Therapeutics around that technology and also around a particular set of markets that we believed were in need of better products. We did decide to focus on stopping bleeding first, and that's also called hemostasis. Terry, what problems is Arch focused on solving both now and in the long term? We're initially looking at the world of bleeding during surgery, otherwise called surgical hemostasis. That's a segue, however, into a large number of other interesting areas that I call stasis and barrier applications. It's the world of stopping and blocking. It includes not just surgery, but also trauma, and not just bleeding, a leak in the body that's not bloody, such as gastrointestinal fluids, cerebrospinal fluids, um, air leaks in the lung. It's an area that I find exciting and, frankly, an area where there is tremendous need in the market. How big of a problem is bleeding right now in the market, in, you know, just in the industry and, and what people are experiencing out there, hospitals, wherever it may be? Uh, what are you seeing out there? What's been your experience and you know, what's the company targeting on this particular area? Well, bleeding causes morbidity or sickness and suffering, and certainly excessive bleeding can cause mortality or death. We know that in surgery, depending on the procedure, 30 to 50% of a surgeon's time is spent controlling bleeding. Of course, in trauma, depending on the nature of the accident, that can be more or less, but it's a problem. Bleeding stresses organs, and stressed organs stress other organs. Bleeding also causes loss of visual field by the surgeon and potentially increases the risk of errors to both the patient and the surgical staff. It slows down the procedure time. We know that time in the operating room is expensive. And we also know that the longer a patient is in the operating room, the greater the chance of other problems. Often, also, patients need transfusions, and these are expensive, and they can lead to their own problems, including infection, like pneumonia and sepsis, as well as both suppressing the immune system and causing an extreme immune response against the blood itself. A 2012 Johns Hopkins study reminded us that transfusions are not as safe as we often think, and at least in that study, about 6% of patients were actually transfused. So most of what I just described also, interestingly, causes an increased length of stay in the hospital, which similarly increases costs and the risks that other negative things can happen to the patient. So you end up with a, a um, very unfortunate positive feedback loop where problems beget other problems. Sure sounds like an Arch Therapeutics uh, developing a novel approach to stop bleeding and control leaking during surgery and trauma care. Terry, how does your technology work exactly? The technology is based on a concept called self-assembly. It was developed at MIT, and it's truly unusual. We do have an exclusive worldwide license uh, for it from MIT. Essentially, it's a peptide, and a peptide is a short string of amino acids, which are building blocks, as you'll know, of protein in the body. But taking into account the principles of nanotechnology and designing at the nanoscale, truly the ground level, our amino acids are built into the peptide such that their relationship to each other prime them for a certain behavior when we spray or squirt them onto a wound. What happens is that they end up in the nooks and crannies of the tissue that's been disrupted or bleeding and leaking. And then they go through a conformational rearrangement or a dance, if you will, building themselves into a physical mechanical barrier. That barrier plugs up the holes and stops the bleeding and leaking of that wound. In other words, they self-assemble. Happily and somewhat elegantly, based on our animal work to date, they create simple barriers while allowing normal processes to continue. Interesting. As far as the technology, uh, I'm sure this is a, a huge 
market. In fact, I've heard upwards of $5 billion in growing. I've got to guess that there's plenty of com uh, competition out there. How does the technology uh, differ from the competition that's out there, uh, you know, in the marketplace right now? Well, there is competition in the market. Um, but if you talk to folks in the surgical world or especially in the military medical world, you'll hear that there is a tremendous need for uh, new and improved products. So speaking of the military, some who I've spoken to in the distant and recent past have actually dealt with the toughest bleeding in the battlefield. And it's been stated that there have been few great inventions in this space since, frankly, the Vietnam War. From the surgeon perspective, um, many find that currently marketed products haven't kept up to help them meet the demands that are made on those surgeons. Surgeons are highly skilled, they're getting better every year, but they're also being asked to do more. And on the trauma side, the same is true. So the available products share some combination of a bunch of drawbacks, such as lack of efficacy, meaning how well they work, slow onset of action, which can be measured in minutes rather than the seconds that we um, can measure our time to stop bleeding in. They also can lead to adverse effects like infection and adhesion creation, healing problems, immune responses, and these can be fatal. Many aren't user-friendly in terms of how they're prepared or um, ease of use, and others have constraints such as they must be frozen or they must be kept dry. And importantly, we need new products that work in patients who do not normally stop bleeding, whether it be due to being on an antiplatelet or an anticoagulant drug. So those are the, um, those are the issues with the competition, and in particular with regard to the latter, um, they frankly don't work very well in that patient population. As far as the market goes, how big of a market is it? Well, you really hit on the start, starting point of it earlier. You know, it's approximately a $5 billion market. The latest data I saw estimated at 4.6 at the end of 2013 and growing at about a 10% annual pace expected to hit over $6.5 billion, 6.7 was the figure that I saw by a third party in 2017. But interestingly, if you think back to the world that we care about that we discussed earlier, David, um, that's really just the start. We think that um, beyond the world of surgical hemostasis and sealants, uh, there's a lot of white space that hasn't been filled. And, and I also think that the market is not mature. Just many of the products currently in the market are mature. And when do you think, Terry, when do you think the, the products that you're developing right now, when do you think that they'll be actually out on the market where, where people can actually take advantage of them and use them for, for a tremendous benefit, it sounds like? So if all goes according to plan, we're looking at a 2015 launch for our first product in Europe. So Europe in 2015, and, and that particular product, is that AC5, Terry? Yes, David. We also call it AC5 Surgical Hemostatic Device. And the importance of the name um, highlights that we fully expect it to be regulated as a medical device rather than as a pharmaceutical. And compared to that competition that we discussed earlier, the features being designed into it are essentially simpler, safer, more efficacious, and easier to use. Of course, if uh, our listeners are uh, wanting to check out more information, they can check out all of the information that you have published right there on archtherapeutics.com. You touched on it a little bit earlier as far as blood thinners go. Uh, how big of a problem is bleeding for patients on blood thinners? I would imagine it's, it's a tremendous issue you're dealing with, but, but, but give us more on that. So, great question. Would, uh, is it okay if I give you a little medical information on that first, a little background? Sure. So this has to do with clots, and a clot is a 
plug of special proteins, one of which is called fibrin, and platelets, as we know, float around in our blood and help stop bleeding. Those things come together with some other proteins and create a plug to stop the bleeding. It requires that a body have a normal set of coagulation proteins that work in something we call the coagulation cascade, where kind of one thing leads to the next, and at the end you have this um, nice clot. It also requires a body to have properly working platelets, which combine with those proteins to actually make that clot. The problem is that if we clot abnormally or at the wrong time and in the wrong place, we can increase the risk of strokes, heart attacks, and other bad events. Certain surgeries or cardiovascular situations increase the risk of those events. So pharmaceutical companies have developed a number of very useful drugs that we refer to in lay terms as blood thinners. And these products can act either on the clot-making side of that pathway the, um, uh, to lessen the likelihood of uh, those bad events happening. Blood thinners are commonly called anticoagulants. The 2013 report that was put out by the CDC, Center for Disease Control, made some interesting points. They, they first pointed out the number of patients on these products has increased tremendously during about a 16-year period ending in 2010. Second, the sheer numbers of patients are also huge. Of, of those over the age of 65, 18% were on an anticoagulant in any given month. That's about 7 million people just in that age group alone, and it's consistent with other data that I've seen. So you remember that um, the drugs uh, also work on platelets. Well, aspirin is an oldie but goodie that affects platelets, and a lot of people are on aspirin. And it also is often taken, aspirin that is, in conjunction with other products made by companies such as Bristol-Myers and AstraZeneca with really newer and more powerful antiplatelet um, medications. So it's a lot of background I gave you, but it's a big deal because we know that patients on blood thinners, regardless of the type, have an increased risk of bleeding. And when they have surgery, that risk is even higher. So now you're giving a surgeon a challenge. And the challenge is they have to make a decision. Do I stop the drug so that the patient has less risk of bleeding, but has a greater chance of having that bad event that I'm trying to prevent with the drug to begin with? Or do I continue that anticoagulant drug, blood thinner, to keep the odds of having that stroke or heart attack low, but unfortunately increase the risk of bleeding during our surgery? So it's a big challenge for the medical community and the industry to sort out for patients. The good news from Arch's perspective is that we recently described data with our product, AC5. And there was also some third-party data, um, uh, also looking at AC5, assessing its ability to stop bleeding in animals on anticoagulants. And there were several types of anticoagulants tested. Um, they include an old product and commonly used product called heparin, as well as aspirin and, and a very common product called Plavix. Um, we were excited because essentially, um, whether or not the animal was on an anticoagulant, the bleeding stopped equally well when AC5 was used to stop that bleeding. And the model we used was animals, and it was stopping profuse bleeding in the liver. Interesting, Terry. Uh, tell us about your past and potential future collaborations in, in Ireland. Uh, I know the company's issued news uh, previously. Can it provide you additional resources to get to the market? Yes, well, that's kind of a good segue into where we're going. So, you know, we, we talked about the product, we talked about the needs, the market size, we talked about some differentiating features, and obviously we have to get to market. There has been an announcement by the Irish government that a group with whom we have worked in the past um, is being established at a sort of a, a new, uh, bigger, with more resources in Galway, Ireland. 
Um, we have done several years of R&D work in Ireland, most of which was funded with support from the Science Foundation Ireland. It's their National Science Foundation. And the good news is that with this new announcement, um, that group called Curum will be receiving a, a six-year grant from the Irish government. This was just announced in October. But the plan is for Arch and other industry partners to benefit by the provision of highly skilled personnel and significant grant funding and available infrastructure support in return for our providing some capital to match a portion of the funds that are being granted by the Irish government into our R&D programs. So we find it very exciting. We know the leaders of this group, having worked with them for years. Ireland's a special place for this kind of work. Uh, Galway, where we would do most of the work, is a med-tech med mecca. There's other centers of uh, excellence also in Ireland, such as Biopharma, including in Dublin and Cork. So the planned partnership would um, uh, provide us with an opportunity to reallocate some of the resources and timing of the, our previously planned activities in a manner that's enhanced by this additional available capital and personnel. So knowing that we first uh, plan to launch a product in Europe next year, pending, of course, successful completion of the required clinical trial and regulatory approval, we believe that this collaboration will really help us not just in our R&D, but in our near-term commercialization of these products. It also would give us an opportunity to do more, to stretch our dollars further and advance some other products in our pipeline faster than what we otherwise might. So we're pretty excited by it. Hmm. Our guest is uh, Terry Norkey. Terry is the Chief Executive Officer of Arch Therapeutics. Terry, we've got about a minute left in the podcast here, Small Cap Spotlight. Uh, one last question for you. I know you're involved in some other activities uh, that may be actually even tied into the life science space. you like to comment about that or talk a little bit about that real quick? Uh, thanks for asking, David. Yes, uh, one of them that I'll mention now is the Boston Museum of Science. I'm an overseer at the Boston Museum of Science. It's a local institution where there's an amazing appreciation for innovation, really here and abroad. And it also does a nice job of both telling the story and, more importantly, seeding students and members of the community with um, tools in the realm of science, technology, engineering, and math. And in terms of students, it's done at an early age. And I find that exciting because it's the core of innovation. If I see our children starting to care more about this, it's only reasonable uh, that that innovation uh, excitement and desire will be carried through and help make us more competitive in the world as they get older. So the Boston Museum of Science. Well, it's a nice, uh, it, it is a nice segue due to the fact that when we're talking about innovation, certainly sounds like Arch Therapeutics is definitely an innovator and actually developing next generation medical technology. So certainly appreciate you coming on today's program. David, thank you very much for having me. And you have been listening to the Small Cap Spotlight podcast heard exclusively on publicwire.com, your number one source for small cap market news. Join us again for another edition of this podcast as we feature a unique perspective from a variety of upcoming guests, including company CEOs, authors, newsmakers, and many more. Our thanks to Terry Norkey of Arch Therapeutics, Inc. Thanks for joining us, and have a great day. You've been listening to the Small Cap Spotlight with host Dave Donlin on publicwire.com.